When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who need more Tyra Banks in their daily lives. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tuping Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today we are talking about 2000's Coyote Ugly. <laughs> I heard that uh, there might be a job opening. You start Friday night. You're giving me a job? Coyote Ugly. Why would you name your bar that? Because Cheers was taken. That's Rachel. You can take some lessons from her. She just cut some guy's ponytail off. I'd like you to meet my new bartender. Um, Violet. Okay, everyone, welcome to the pod. For those who are not watching the video version, I am wearing my pleather crop top in honor of today's uh, cinematic selection. This movie is a special one. Yeah, I don't really feel like many people our age have seen it. I just don't. I don't know. Like, nobody I know talks about this movie. I, I don't know why, but I just wasn't yeah. even aware of it until we started this podcast. And then I I was vaguely aware of the bar, the, the real life bar, because we used to live right. by it. But I just, I didn't know about the lore of it. I just knew it was there. So I... And girl, there's more lore than you could ever imagine surrounding this bar. I have uh, really done my research for this one. So get ready to learn this week. But Audrey, how's your day been in general? How's your day been? I have a headache. <laughs> Mine? Oh, well, okay. Mine's been really good for gamer reasons. If you're in the Discord, you know why. My favorite, favorite, favorite video game, Legends of Zelda. Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, the sequel got announced today with a release date. Finally, it was supposed to come out in 2022. Now it's coming out May 2023. It is so huge to me. So today... No matter what happens today, today is a good day in my book. Also good news, we found out today that our Casetify deal is going quite well for all parties. For those who recall, last season we got a Casetify discount code. Um, 
So if you still want the discount, their stuff continues to be really cute. We have a new segment this week and going forward. It's called Question for the Culture. The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. Some of you may recognize that quote. Some of you may not. I'm going to leave it up to you guys to do your research. But the concept of the segment is that each week we will share a question, thought, or take that's relevant to the sleepover cinema community. So this week's question for the culture, who wants these Disney sequels and live action remakes? Nobody. They're a business opportunity. That's all they are. That's it. Yes. And the thing that made me want to talk about this was I saw the Disenchanted trailer and it was one of the most depressing things I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, I mean, well, two things really emerged to me. One of them is James Marston is hot. That continues to be true. And I'm happy about that. But did you notice that it looked like everyone had like a really aggressive smoothing filter on their face? Yeah, I mean, most... All, most all shows have those now. Some are way better at it than others. Depends on your budget. And I know, I don't know the details of it, but I know that this movie had a fairly cursed production. And I just, I don't think it went well for anybody. Um, Getting a theatrical release, it's kind of just there. I am so curious about what happened there. I think it just ended up not being very good. And they were like, well, what are we going to do? I mean, the the level to which Amy Adams looks like she's making a TikTok with how blurred her face is, it's kind of wild. I was like... It's offensive. I have heard of some actresses who make it a point to not be filtered. I'm sure there are some that make it a point to be filtered. Either way, I just think it's dishonest and I think it's offensive and women are allowed to have wrinkles. They don't do it to men. So also this week, the Little Mermaid trailer finally came out and um, the live action Little Mermaid. And I was sort of thinking like, obviously everyone loves to see Halle Bailey in this role. She's going to do a good job. Like that's really great for a lot of reasons, but I kind of feel like they use that kind of casting or like kind of like stunt casting almost to like justify the existence of the movie in the first place. There's nothing wholesome or artistic or admirable about what they're doing. I I just find it to be really more exploitation. Like, truly. Uh Uh-huh. I was going to say the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it pisses me off. And I, I know there are a lot of babies out there who will love her as Ariel. And that's great, like on the basis of their experience, but on on the looking at it as a corporation that's making business decisions. Yeah. It's like they're inherently biased. <laughs> like there is no, yeah. there is no, we're doing this for the good of humanity when you're Disney. So... Yeah, well, and it also just feels like it's also exploitative in that it's like representation, give us your money. Like, that's kind of what it feels like. But again, agreed. Like, it's not evil that they're doing it. It's going to be really cool for kids, um, but it just has a weird ring to it. Like, why don't you create a new role for Halle Bailey (laughs) that actually makes sense? And then I also, it's like, 
obviously the market for nostalgia is like extremely, extremely potent right now. And it kind of just feels like all of the remakes are cashing in on that. I guess if you really love, if you love these live action remakes, let us know and let us know why, because it just seems like pure commerce to me. It is. I, I, it's what, that is something that I can't see any other way. It's just like, if you enjoy it, on like a childlike level, then I think that's fine. But anything else, no. If you guys haven't watched the Disenchanted trailer yet, you gotta go watch it. It is shockingly bad. I could not believe it. The Hocus Pocus 2 trailer looks equally as shitty. Sorry, it just does. (laughs) I almost watched it and then I got distracted. But is it like the same vibe as the Enchanted one? Yeah, it's just like, we don't need this. (laughs) Okay, shall we get into the facts? Coyote Ugly, 2000's Coyote Ugly, was released on August 4th, 2000 with a PG-13 rating. It was directed by David McNally, um, who does not have a very uh, substantial body of work, but he directed Kangaroo Jack, and he also directed the music video for Leanne Rimes' Can't Fight the Moonlight, which is the song in this movie. So I thought that was funny. The reason that he technically directed is because the music video is footage from this movie. Oh. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. I did not know that. Okay. Audrey with the facts. Okay. Um, Screenplay was written by Gina Wenkos, who obviously is one of the mainstays of our show. She wrote the screenplay for The Princess Diaries, The Perfect Man, Princess Diaries 2, and many more. And of course, this movie is based off the life story of Liliana Lovell, who we'll get to her later because she's a very interesting person. But the movie was produced by Jerry Bruckheimer Films, which to me, whenever I hear his name, the main thing I think of is Pirates of the Caribbean. He did the entire franchise, all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, But also, notably, Remember the Titans, Pearl Harbor, Kangaroo Jack, once again, uh, National Treasure, and Confessions of a Shopaholic. Interesting to think that your Pirates of the Caribbeans and your Pearl Harbors could potentially be seen as just as potentially financially viable as Coyote Ugly just in like selling sex, basically. Um, I think that that's interesting to think about. Meaning that Coyote Ugly is just selling sex? Meaning that like Jerry Bruckheimer can be like, both of these are good financial decisions, like sexy lady movies and also pirate movies. Okay, so getting into these synopses. So we have IMDb, Letterboxd, and Rotten Tomatoes as always. But for the first time in my journey here, Letterboxd and Rotten Tomatoes were exactly the same. So first one, IMDb. Sexy romantic comedy about a girl in her early 20s named Violet Sanford going to NYC to pursue a dream of becoming a songwriter. Violet gets a quote, day, end quote, job as a barmaid at a nightclub called Coyote Ugly. Coyote Ugly is the city's newest hotspot where the employees are a team of sexy, resourceful women that provoke the clientele and press with their mischief. Kind of. (laughs) And then Letterboxd and Rotten Tomatoes. Grace with a velvet voice, 21-year-old Violet Sanford heads to New York to pursue her dream of becoming a songwriter only to find her aspirations sidelined by the accolades and notoriety she receives at her, quote, day, end quote, job as a barmaid at Coyote Ugly. 
the quote coyotes, as they are affectionately called, tantalize customers and the media alike with their outrageous antics, making Coyote Ugly the watering hole for guys on the prowl. Okay, at some point in this episode today, we're going to have to talk about the difference between whatever the fuck Coyote Ugly is and a strip club. We will get there, but I feel like Coyote Ugly is not really tantalizing. It's more just like they're hot girls doing weird jigs on a counter. Yeah, but this is for the same effect. (laughs) They are doing the same thing. (laughs) I guess you're right. I guess you're right. But okay, what are these taglines? Okay, the first tagline is the party never ends. The second one is tonight they're calling the shots. The third one is want to dance the hottest party of the year. And the last one is the boss, the law, the dreamer, the flame, the heartbreaker, the girls of Coyote Ugly. That one is the fakest. Yeah, because you can't name who's who. You can, like mostly. I I mean, I can if I really thought about it, but that's not what a tagline should do. A tagline should immediately tell you you shouldn't have to think about it. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, you know, that that tagline was with the poster of them all sitting in a cluster. Yeah. Like the way that they wanted this to be like an ensemble cast in perception seems to be very obvious, at least to me. But I think they're pretty good taglines overall. I like tonight they're calling the shots. That's fun. Okay. What about this cast? Okay. So the cast is kind of big, but... Not that notable at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Piper Parabo plays Violet, and she's known for Yellowstone, Billions, and to us, Cheaper by the Dozen. Um, She's done a ton of TV in recent years, but most people our age know her from being the oldest sister in Cheaper by the Dozen. John Goodman plays Violet's father, Bill, and of course, he is extremely, extremely famous, And for us, he's known for Monsters, Inc., but he actually has a really (laughs) deep uh, filmography and a kind of highbrow filmography, I would say. He's known for Mm -hmm. Barton Fink, Argo, The Big Lebowski, and Raising Arizona. Those are the ones that I handpicked out because they're very, like, film school picks. Mm -hmm. Um, Coen Brothers vibes. And then... Isabella Maiko plays Cammy, who's one of the coyotes. Um, she's been in a ton of TV shows, Step Up, All In, Clash of the Titans, and The Mick. Don't really know why we care about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Bridget Moynihan plays Rachel. And I actually like couldn't nail how I knew her. But then I saw on her IMDb that she's Natasha in Sex and the City, who is basically Carrie Bradshaw's foil. Um, She marries Big at some point in the show. And then Carrie just kind of... There's like a really iconic scene of her putting Carrie down, like putting Carrie in her place. Ooh, okay. And it's it's good. Um, And then Ramona and Beezus and John Wick. Melanie Linsky, who I love, she plays Violet's best friend, Gloria. More recently, she's been in Yellow Jackets, the TV show, Don't Look Up, the god-awful film that nobody should ever watch, Um, (laughs) Perks of Being a Wallflower. She plays the aunt who is suspicious. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, two episodes of The L Word. I put that in because of Hannah. Um, Thank you. But I Thank guess that's the... Much. Yeah, do you remember her? When I was watching her in the movie, I was like, she looks so familiar and I can't figure out why. And I think the combination of The L Word and... Um, Perks of being a wallflower answers that question. Yeah. So, yes. And then she was in But I'm a Cheerleader, and she was in Ever After a Cinderella Story, which is the Drew Barrymore 90s one. So. Right. Really good. Wait, okay. Not to go on a side tangent, but why do you feel so strongly about Don't Look Up? I honestly don't think we should go into it. <laughs> Wait, but I want to know. It's just, like, so shitty. It's just, like, a bad movie. And I could write a dissertation about it. It's so fake deep. The whole thing is just extreme fake deep. The metaphor that they're using is not one-to-one. Like, they're using the metaphor of... And I I honestly didn't even finish the movie because I was so... I literally didn't like it. And I was like, I'm not finishing this, so I can't really wow. speak to the whole thing. The metaphor of there's uh, a planet that's coming to crush earth and um kind of and just like end humanity is not it's not a one-to-one metaphor of like almost like the downfall of humanity in all of the ways that we we perceive it now Mm -hmm. which is like technology ai the environment all those things, overpopulation, all that stuff. Yeah. They're like using it, using this impending doom of the literal planet in the sky to be a symbol of all of those things that we feel. Uh-huh. And the way that it's written, it's just so cheap. The whole thing feels so cheap to me. And it's like, I can't even describe why it's so bad because I honestly don't remember it that well now but Mm -hmm. I had like a whole spiel when I first saw it and I was just like and also it's Adam McKay like you got to keep that in mind too and like um the the big short he likes to make movies about large concepts and it just doesn't work for me next is Tyra Banks who plays Zoe And she is known for Life Size and America's Next Top Model and all of the reality TV that she has produced. I mean, she's also extremely famous. Also, let's not forget that she produced the Click movie. Yeah. You know, Tyra obviously is super famous and she is very iconic, but she also scares me a lot. I I kind of want to know what her deal is a little bit. Yeah, she seems to be the sort of person who would um, like to watch the world burn, as they say. Next is Maria Bello, and she plays Lil, who is the founder, the the truthful founder of Coyote Ugly. Um, She was in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, one of the mommy movies, Prisoners, and Grown Ups 2. Prisoners is one of the most depressing movies I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) I don't remember who she plays, but it is so... Yeah, it's I haven't it's even really heard sad. of that movie. Adam Garcia plays Kevin O'Donnell, who is Violet's love interest. And this little, his like top three known for really got me because it's Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen as Stu Wolf, Riding in Cars with Boys. That's a Drew Barrymore movie. And then this movie also is in his top three. But he's also, it seems like since 
that time, since he had these like good roles, a few good roles, he's been in more minor roles. Like he had like super, super tiny parts in Death on the Nile and Murder on the Orient Express, which I thought were was weird because those are like movies of the same series, kind mm-hmm. of. And I was mm-hmm. like, what? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then finally, Leanne Rhymes is playing herself. <laughs> and that's yes. it. <laughs> she also um, did all of the singing for Piper. She dubbed all of it. Which is funny. So basically at the end when they're like singing a duet, it's like Leanne Rhymes to Leanne Rhymes, which is funny. Okay, and then budget was $45 million. Uh, opening weekend made $17,319,282. The domestic gross is $60,786,269. And the worldwide gross is $113,916,474. So they're fine. <laughs> I was kind of surprised to see that. <laughs> I'm glad there isn't a second one. That's all I have to say. So now going into critical and audience opinions. So critic score and letterbox average star rating. We had a 23% tomato meter and 2.9 stars on average on Letterboxd. The critic consensus is as follows. Coyote Ugly has an enthusiastically trashy energy and undeniable aesthetic appeal, but it's nowhere near enough to make up for the film's shallow, unimaginative story. Now into the uh, critic reviews. So really, for the negative ones, you can kind of imagine what everyone would say. So I just cultivated some intel from one Roger Ebert. So he said, The film stars Piper Parabo as one of a group of heedless wenches who dance on a bar and pour straight shots down the throats of the seething multitude. Bruckheimer and his director bring superb technical credits to this wheezy old story, and they add wall-to-wall music to make it sound like fun. But you can pump up the volume only so far before it becomes noise. I don't ask for startling originality in a movie like Coyote Ugly. All I ask is that I be surprised a couple more times. Give me something I can't see coming and make it more unexpected than a beloved character getting hit by a car instead of having a heart attack, which... I cannot agree with that more. They were planting those seeds with the fast food so hard. And then the dad got hit by a car. Spoiler alert, I guess, if you're actually going to watch this movie in the break. But then it's like, why even do the fast food thing? Because it's not like... Right. It's not like there's a, a long wait between him getting, you know, him being gone and her finding out what happened. It's like a five second wait. So yeah, that is kind of strange. Yeah, I thought it was really weird that they were like planting the seeds for a heart attack type thing. And then when it doesn't pay off, I guess the point is that he couldn't take care of himself. I mean, obviously they love that concept in this movie, uh, but I don't know. The critics did have a few positive things to say, though. A few comments from critics I suggest a few stiff drinks and a suspension of disbelief, and this frothy little number will go down just fine. It's a fun celebration of youthful exuberance and love with some talent added to the mix. It does have an infectious spirit. And lastly, simple-minded, trashy, and a masterpiece. (laughs) It does have an infectious spirit. I thought that one was funny. And then audience score, 
classic true to form sleepover cinema, the audience score was 71% as opposed to the 23% uh, provided by the critic score. And then just a few audience opinions, not to be dramatic, but you can't fight the moonlight. And then in a lot of the reviews I was finding from audience members, um, there's a director's cut of the movie that's apparently a lot more sexual. And there's like a really long gratuitous sex scene between uh, Violet and uh, Stu Wolf. I don't remember what his character's name is, but everyone was like, that was a lot. And then someone else just wrote, my uncle is in this. And I appreciated that as well. So... I'm not doing the tweets thing anymore because I was getting sick of the takes. So instead, I'm leaning into the common sense media response to the movies we're reviewing. And common sense media, for those who don't know, is like when you're a parent and you're like, can my little Bobby watch Mean Girls? Is it appropriate? Common sense media is supposed to like give you like a parental analysis of the movie. So, okay. Common sense media rated this movie for age 14 plus and described it as sexist shallow movie about bar has sex, lots of drinking. And then they present um, some talking points that you uh, could bring up with your family after watching the movie. So they suggest talk to your kids about, colon, Families could talk about the demeaning way that the girls in the bar see men's view of women, the ways that women convey sexuality and availability, and the problems that can occur if you don't have huge bouncers on hand, as they do at the bar. I mean, I don't see these as being wrong, really. They're not wrong. It's just funny. It's just really funny to me. The next one is... Families can talk about drinking in movies. How was binge drinking glorified in this movie? Did it go too far in making binge drinking seem like it's without consequences? Or was it simply trying to reflect the realities of what it's like inside a packed and raucous bar like Coyote Ugly? I just love that someone got to like sit down and write this. It makes me happy. Okay, and last but not least, some scenes featured gratuitous product placement. Does the use of clearly marked or directly referenced products pose a problem for you? Does it interfere with your enjoyment of the movie or is it something you find easy to ignore? For some reason, Common Sense Media has declared product placement as problematic and I think that that's really funny. Like it They're was right. sprinkled throughout the whole thing. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just think it's funny. I think it's an old fashioned yeah. thought. We're so used to it now that we don't care. But like mm -hmm. in the beginning, it would be it would feel exploitative. I think it would be like, oh, like they're trying to subliminally feed us things to buy, basically. So now cultural context, if applicable. So I decided to do a little uh, dip into the world of Coyote Ugly as an actual bar. So as we stated earlier, Coyote Ugly was like across the street from me and Audrey's apartment and it closed in 2018. And I was always just kind of confused about what it even was. So what is Coyote Ugly actually? So the one that was by me and Audrey's apartment closed in 2020, um, but I never really got to learn that much about it. So what exactly is Coyote Ugly? It is a chain of bars currently. Um, and if you go on YouTube and you look up Coyote Ugly Bar, it is exactly what you see in the movie. There are girls in those outfits 
doing dances on the bar. The main difference is that they're way less energized than the people in the movie and that the crowd is not like the crowd in the movie, which I'm sure does not come as a surprise. But just a little history of the bar, the franchise, like what the deal is with uh, Lil, who's a character in the movie, obviously. So Lil was the founder of the bar and she wrote an account of the bar's history on CoyoteUglySaloon.com. So this is her deal. So she went to Catholic school in New Rochelle and then went to NYU and got a job as a waitress bartender. And she said, when I became more comfortable behind the bar, I would have a few drinks and I found myself on top of the bar singing to whatever came on the jukebox, hustling drinks for customers and myself while making a lot of money doing it. So she was like pretty good at bartending, pretty into it. So then she changed her major like a billion times, but she started interning on Wall Street and she was hating her life. She did not like it. Um, And at the same time, she started working at a bar called The Village Idiot, where she proceeded to slay and then made a connection there that set her up to turn an Italian restaurant into Coyote Ugly. So she says this. I now knew what the nuns at the Catholic school were talking about when they said that I could do anything I wanted to. And now I was. During the night, I would dance on the bar, sing to the crowd, and insult anyone who wasn't man enough to take me on in a drinking contest. As a consummate salesman, I was very good at this. I developed my business plan here, and that has propelled me to where I am today. Beautiful girls plus booze equals money. I began training my girls to perform my shtick. So the dancing on the bars, the singing the songs all came straight from her. First location was right by our apartment. Um, But it's been very like corporatized, which I think is funny. Like I found out to to purchase a Coyote Ugly franchise, you need between $500,000 and $1 million. And they're really trying to sell these franchises. There's one in Camden in London, Camden Town, that's opening... I think it opened last month, but this is a quote from their chief creative officer that I thought was funny. People of all cultures share the same desire to socialize and connect with one another. With our concept, you can do that, all the while being entertained by the most amazing bartenders in the industry. It's an experience today's customers are demanding, says Lee Killingsworth. (laughs) It's just very chief creative officer to put it that way. And then just one last little piece of information. Uh, There was a reality show based on Coyote Ugly. It was called The Ultimate Coyote Ugly Search. um, And it was an American reality TV competition show that was on uh, country music television, a.k.a. CMT. So the first two seasons saw a group of wannabes paired with a serving coyote in the hope of getting a job at the Coyote Ugly Saloon and a cash sum for them and their partner. And then the last season, they changed the format. Uh, In the final season, singing, dancing female bartenders competed for a position with the company's traveling troupe and a $50,000 cash prize. There is a, there's a whole culture surrounding this place, it turns out. Did you happen to look into the development of the movie then? Like why the movie happened? In her um, account, really all she said was like, we were doing so well. Like people loved us. People were covering us. And then Hollywood came and knocking and she was like a consultant on the movie. Um, But I'm guessing it was from like press coverage that made uh, someone want to make a movie about it. But okay, so when did we first watch and what do we remember? I watched it for the first time two days ago for this very podcast. I watched it probably like, A year ago? Yeah, it had been on my watch list for a while. We'll save it for the second half. Yeah, I remember, like, I I have been excited to do this movie um, since the 
from the beginning just because I was like, this seems strange and enticing. And I was definitely entertained, but we can get into that more when we come back from our break. Um, I watched this movie. I texted Audrey and I know she's so proud of me deep in her soul. I watched this on Tubi with the commercials. I did not spend a dime and that is personal growth. Yeah. I think for a movie, for a movie that's less dumb, spend the money to actually watch it properly. But for something like this, yeah. I will say one thing I appreciated about the Tubi viewing is that, like, we never get to see, like, long-form commercials anymore. Like, we're only getting, like, the 15-second YouTube ad version of a lot of commercials. Um, They were a little cinematic. I was kind of enjoying the ads because they were, like, a minute long each instead of, like, two seconds. Anyway, so we will be back momentarily um, to unpack this one. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Okay, everyone, we are back, and it is time to talk about 2000's Coyote Ugly. Um, Okay, so what stood out to you about this movie as you were watching it? There were some great looks. There was some, some fun hair. There was just, like, some fun fashion. The aesthetic of it is nice, but it's also leaning so hard into male gaze that sometimes it kind of overpowers. I don't know. I think it was shot nicely, but then there was just some shots where you were like, okay, this is cheap. Yeah, yeah. To that point, there were like, so obviously like them being like sexy ladies on the bar was like one thing, but there were two other moments that I thought were shot in like a weirdly sexual way, which was, there was like this one scene where Piper is like getting undressed for like one second and then like gets dressed again. On the phone with her dad. Yeah, why was it like Well, we that? should wait for that. I, that was, that's a part of my main okay. point. 
Also, though, the shot where Stu Wolf is laying on the bed and, like, the sheet is pulled over, like, just his dick, basically. Like, you get, like, full hip of this man. And I was just like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I thought that that was funny. And I definitely noticed it. Well, that makes sense. It, but did any... Clearly, there was a sex scene and then they cut it out. Yes, for the PG-13. The line that I really liked, the standout line for me of the whole thing is in, like, the first seven minutes and it's the receptionist woman <laughs> she says she tells me that she's a bisexual and she hates me more than anyone on this planet <laughs> that was good I wrote that down too I was also like why I was confused because I was like this is iconic but also why is this like why is this like a random angry black woman trope yeah like She's like the only black woman other than Tyra who speaks the whole time. I'm yep. pretty sure. I don't really have anything else in good or standout. Some of it is just like observations that are silly or like things that are bad, but like that I enjoyed because they were so bad. Right off the bat, the vibe in that diner was so creepy. Like all those men and her. I just thought that that was like a really weird vibe, almost like foreshadowing to the bar later. But that just felt weird to me. I thought it was really funny when they go, like at the very beginning when um Violet and her friend like go out to the bar and they're singing, I will survive. <laughs> and you look at the crowd and they're like not even close to dancing on rhythm or clapping on rhythm. It's just so clearly like a shot of the crowd. They just like threw in there that just special. Something happened between Gina Wencos writing this and it being produced. It has to be true. Like, cause this is not it does not fit the style that she normally writes in, you know? Like, you know how a lot of the time, or at least this was a thing that I was told about in school a lot, which is like you write a screenplay and you sell it and then you basically give up the rights to like, like they can change it as much as they want because you sold them the product. And I just wonder if that's what happened with the screenplay a little bit. I would guess that she was recruited anyway. Like she was hired for this and then pro she probably was like, this is kind of weird for me, but okay. And then, yeah. And then they just changed yeah. it. I just feel like it was, wasn't, wasn't really her wheelhouse. Tyra's wig is hateful. The entire time I was like, when is this movie going to get gay? Which I know I've been really shitting on that concept lately, but like, it really seemed like it was going to get gay, like, at any moment. Um, and it kind of, like, touched on it a few times, but then it never really went in. I never thought for a second it was going to get gay. I knew it wouldn't. Really? Yes. If the Les Hangout girls heard this, they'd be like, yes. In fact, I think they actually did an episode, a Should Have Been Gay episode about this movie. I'll have to go back and find it. But, yeah, I was waiting for it to get gay. And really, my overall question is, who the fuck would ever want to go to Coyote Ugly? It looks like such a bad time. Yeah. I think that their portrayal of your average kind of dumb straight man is kind of offensive. Also, because I just don't know what kind of person would want ice water to be dumped on their head. Like, are you so much of an animal that you, like, are you're so ravenous right. for, like, these ladies that you, like, don't care that you're being assaulted in a bar? Like, I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, I actually really do agree with you. And I cannot believe that on this podcast, we are defending the representation of uh, straight men. But 
It's true. Like, and also, I mean, obviously there's parts of the movie where they like grab the women and stuff, but in general, it just feels very like, I I don't know. It kind of feels like they, and I'm sure they did, shot like most of those scenes on the same day. It feels like the energy is like exactly the same in all of them, almost weirdly. I, I think this movie is asking overarching questions about, Without it's asking the questions without knowing it's asking the questions about the nature of sex work, essentially. Piper's character, Violet, is getting berated by her father and by her not even real boyfriend about, you know, they're basically yeah. shaming her for making money by being hot on a bar, which is not even like bona fide sex work. It's literally not. Then you've got the the conflict of Lil, this female owner, is very much taking advantage of the um like the thirst of these guys to make her own business, which is mm-hmm. admirable. Do you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Because it's like, would you do it? Like, would you start a business? <laughs> Like, would you start a franchise of Coyote Ugly? Me personally? <laughs> like, um, if, say you were no, in the position like to do that. conversation. Like, but just w- what I mean in terms of taking advantage, not, t- I don't know. I don't really know how to word it. I don't know. It's kind of, it, it calls to what the common sense media commenter said, which is like, what if the bouncers weren't there? I think to me, it's like, obviously, obviously, like, I am not, I'm not going to be picked from the lineup to be the Coyote Ugly server, right? But like, if I was, I would try it probably, but only if it was like very, very, very secure. And the truth is that like the level of like raucousness in that movie is like not what real life is like. I mean, we've never been, so we don't know. I mean, from the videos I saw on YouTube, it was very much like, we're like we're doing the hoedown in the middle of an Applebee's like that was the yeah um <laughs> yeah I don't even know like I'm not making any bold claims with anything I just said I just was thinking about that while I was watching it with that should we just get into bad things yeah I got I got one hot off okay. the presses please what is this like weird ass Freudian shit they're doing with Violet and her dad like yeah, the 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 cross cutting the parallel action of her taking her clothes off on the phone with him with her father while he's like sitting in this like lazy boy chair. It's just like you like I know like don't shoot it that way. First of all, if you're if you're gonna ha- like the yeah. way they shot it was so <laughs> stupid for that scene, like. If you were just going to have this kind of transitional scene and the point of it is just to show her being hot, you can shoot it that way. That's fine. But do not cross cut it with her talking to her father on the phone. That's weird. This whole thing of you need me. You can't do your own laundry. You like aren't a functioning adult when he literally is a full blown adult who is also her father. There is very infantilizing of like this man, which is weird. And then um, the slow dance scene at the wedding, (laughs) like truly it's 
freaking weird what they've done. The image, the vibe that they have created around this duo. It is really, really creepy. And really predictable yeah also like i basically wrote out the whole last third of the plot with the dad when i wrote it down but i did think he was gonna have a heart attack i wrote that down so good for them for the twist of it being getting hit by a car i guess um but it's like no oh, so you're just like bad at writing like that's it, it should at least be predictable right. in a way that makes sense <laughs> yeah but i will say Somehow, despite it all, John Goodman is still great. He has a good vibe. Like, he's a really likable person on screen, in my opinion. He is, but to me, not in this movie. I find him to be really, like, I don't even know what the word is. I did this To me, this is the worst movie I've seen him in. Like, for his, what role he plays. Like, this yeah. is not warm and fuzzy. This is kind of creepy and weird, and I don't like it. It is creepy and weird. I also totally thought he was a cop when I saw him in his uniform. And then when I found out he was a toll station attendant, that was kind of funny to me. Like, I did not put that together. Um. Oh, shit. Wait, really fast. We forgot to say something that was good, which is at the very end, when Mrs. Ungermeyer is the one in the crowd betting on the dad or like auctioning, whatever, putting bids in on the dad. That was really, really funny. I did enjoy that. Alex Borstein. Okay, so in one of the songs, in one of the songs that Piper wrote, you want, okay, here's the thing. The songs are really catchy. I can remember what they all sound like without without checking. The one where she's like, I don't like to, I don't like to. So, okay, the lyrics are, I don't like to be alone in the night. And I don't like to hear I'm wrong when I'm right. And I don't like to have the rain on my shoe. But I do love you. I thought the lyrics were so bad. I was like, oh no. I was like, give it up, girly. How is it possible? (laughs) How is it possible that that's where they landed with that line? Like, that's bad enough of a line for everyone to be like, I don't know, is she going to make it? Like, I'm not sure. Um, Rain on my shoe. I thought that it was a typo in the subtitles. No, that's just what it is. I, I don't believe that she could write Can't Fight the Moonlight, and that's just the truth. No, Can't Fight the Moonlight is really good. Yeah, that's a good song. Like, there's no way in hell Violet wrote that song. (laughs) There's no way. No. In fact, if we had known about Can't Fight the Moonlight two weeks ago, that could have been the cover that we did. It's not too late for us to do another one. Um, But that song is so good. I think the idea of Coyote Ugly as a bar is really bad and really weird. It's like a honky tonk meets a strip club, which I guess there really is an audience for, but it's so strange. It's like 
Partially Hooters, too. Have you ever been to a strip club? No. Have you? No. I know people, like, go for fun, like, in a not horny way. But also, like, what the fuck am I going to do when they (laughs) stand there? (laughs) You got to sit there with your legs spread really wide and your arms out on the couch. That's, That's a legal obligation. I also thought the boy auction was really weird. Like, did Adam Garcia go have sex with that random lady? No, definitely not. You don't think so? I think he did. He's like, he clearly would not do that as he is staunchly against all things adjacent to sex work, clearly. (laughs) Yeah, seriously, he should have more empathy. But okay, wasn't he not even being anti-sex work? He was more, well... No, he was. To me, it felt... Well, to me, it felt like he was more like you're prioritizing this bar over your music. But yeah, but then, then when it he turned. like came in and flipped out. Yeah, yeah, it turned into hate of sex work or whatever we're calling this hot girl work. I don't know. Um, hot girl employment. Yeah, pretty girl jobs, I mean it's basically. yeah, pretty girl jobs, which is like similar to like being a hostess at like a really like, fancy restaurant. It's like similar. I think he took it too far. When Violet and Kevin are like in the room and he like set up all those cardboard cutouts and then she just goes like extreme like romance novel like smut mode and is like really sexually narrating how she feels when she gets nervous. I wrote down, OMG, she's slutty. LOL, this is smut. Because it is. I just don't feel that Violet is a character. I don't feel that Violet is a person. Like... Violet's not a person. I totally agree. They thought getting a woman to write this would like negate these problems, but it, it, and I'm sure they changed it around too, but like it doesn't because it's a 2000 movie for Hollywood. Like it was only going to turn out one way. Are we even going to talk about the fact that Tyra is mostly a cameo? I mean, that's on purpose. Like she definitely was like booked and blessed and couldn't wasn't actually like in it anymore we might see the cracks in her performance (laughs) yeah I enjoyed her being there I wish there had been more but that's okay I'll take what I can get I didn't have many notes because the whole thing I, I can't even really say I have fun watching it I was pretty entertained Just the lack of, the lack of inner life. Just like films that like you never really know anything about anyone. No one's element was good enough or strong enough to like make me have fun with the movie as a whole. Also, it's so clearly not shot in New York. I was like, this shit. Yes. This shit is sketchy. I definitely agree. It kind of reminded me of Rent. Yeah, it's like, if you're going to make, like, this is a film that should be shot in New York. Like, it's weird that it wasn't. You know, when you just live, when, (laughs) you know, when you live in New York and you have to bring your piano and your guitar onto your rooftop? (laughs) So relatable. Is this movie good? No. No. The things that I will remember the most are the bar scenes. Oh, side note. Also, when it's Fleet Week and those sailors are, like, about to sexually assault the one girl, that will stay with me. John Goodman will stay with me and Can't Fight the Moonlight will stay with me. And just, like, everyone being 
pretty, I guess, sticks with you. I don't know. I I fear I'm coming off really hateful and I know that I am. But (laughs) again, it's like this movie causes my feminist brains to like get in a fight with each other. Like it's just like. Yeah. There's this YouTuber named um, T. Um, Her name's T. It's like, but her channel name is T Noir. Did you see the video she posted about I think it was like Perfect Pussy Complex. That was the name of it. It's been on my For You page, or not For You page, my home page, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, well, it just like verbalized something that I felt and that probably most women have felt for a long time. That is, no matter how much you try to reclaim or be like dominant or in power of your own sexuality or just like your own womanhood or whatever, what is it motivated by? In a capitalistic sense, it's still operating under the patriarchy and it's still being consumed kind of by men. It's really uncomfortable to talk about because nobody, like I don't want to think this way about powerful female artists, but yeah, they live in the same society that we do. They can't, they're not unbiased to, to these factors. Yeah. And I just, yeah. in terms of like films like Coyote Ugly, it's not actually empowering, really. There's, not, there's nothing empowering about that. You can take elements of it that are true to life and have, if something was empowering to a woman and that is her truth, then that is empowering to that person. Yeah. It's hard because I can see it from both sides. Like on an individual level, I think there are powerful or like positive elements to take from like not necessarily the movie Coyote Ugly, but like what actually happened in real in real life, mm-hmm. like to this business owner, like whatever yeah. her name is. I don't know. I know I'm saying this in a choppy way, but. Well, it's kind of the classic feminist dilemma of like, If you're sexy, it's very like, I'm sexy for me. But it's like, if you're sexy in the woods and no one's there to see it, are you being sexy? Yeah. You know, like the sexiness only works because of perception. Yes. Well, people are always like, when you believe you're hot, you become hot. Yeah, that's the... What even is being hot, though? That's the thought. Well, exactly. Being hot isn't real. There's no answer, really. You know how there are TikToks of people who will be like, be delusional. Like, you will get things if you just be delusional. It's like, okay, well, what? (laughs) (laughs) I know. No, I've thought about this a lot, too. And I'm starting to just feel in general, like, the older I get, the more I'm just like, this is so stupid. Yeah, I I mean, what a what like, a huge 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 distraction all of this is. Yeah. Nobody's going to win here. It's a way to make everybody's mind just go in circles forever and mm-hmm. nobody's winning. So like it it's kind of insane when you really think about how distracted the man is still winning. Exactly. Because we're infighting. And that's yeah. what I'm that's kind of That's basically what I was trying to get to with my initial point is like, Mm -hmm. no matter how any of us feel about these topics, the man is still winning. Yeah, I totally agree. 
Which is saying something because I feel like normally we enjoy getting into the weeds like this. And I don't want to sound like super old school by being like, it's a huge distraction. Um, But it is. I think, yeah, it is fun to get into the weeds about stuff like this sometimes. But right now, I think Coyote Ugly watching that movie can really just make you (laughs) think about the future of this planet. I agree. It's kind of worth watching from that perspective, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we have we have said that for a lot of movies in the past, too, like that we've covered where it's like you can watch it with kind of an anthropological view of like, yes, how far we've come or just like the way that certain like the way that women were being portrayed at that time. Is it different? Is it the same? Like common sense media shit. Well, we will surely revisit these topics over over the season. But I guess the consensus is bad movie, mildly worth watching. Definitely memorable to me. We will be back next week. As always, so excited to be back. We really hope you enjoyed um, last week's episode. We really enjoyed it. It was super fun to put together immersive, fun for the whole family. But before you go, Audrey, where can they find more from us? As always, you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. And you can follow me, Audrey, at Audriana Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram, at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter if you're feeling really brave. And please join our Discord server at the link in the episode description or through evergreenpodcast.com. And you can peruse our merch at our website. Uh, We have t-shirts, sweatshirts, stickers, much more. Um, And as always, ladies, leave a review um, on Apple Podcasts. Share an episode with a friend. Share it with your friend who works in media and has access to thousands of outlets. Um, Share it with your moneyed relatives. Thank you very much. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman with theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. We will be back next week. Bye. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.